about some sins, cardinal sins. And we'll just start with one this morning. That is the sin of jealousy. Jealousy is a sin that blinds. People that are jealous are blind to certain things. It's a serious sin, and yet it's a common sin. When we turn to, Gen uh, to Galatians chapter 5, starting I think at verse 19 and then in verse 20, we find about 15 different works of the flesh mentioned. And about in the middle is the sin of jealousy. Envy is also mentioned in that list. And the very next list has to do with the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh are just the opposite one with another. As children of God, we need to be developing the fruit of the Spirit and overcome the works of the flesh that the devil tempts us with. Let me give us uh, a definition of jealousy. Jealousy is unpleasant fear, suspicion, or resentment arising from mistrust of another. One who is jealous exacts exclusive devotion and is intolerant of rivalry. Let me give you a couple of Bible examples of jealousy. And we'll start with Miriam and Aaron, brother and sister Moses. When we turn to, to Numbers chapter 12, we find this statement. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Cushite woman. In your version it may say the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only with Moses? Hath he not spoken also with us? Now Miriam and Aaron begin complaining about Zipporah, Moses' wife. She's not a descendant of Abraham, but this was before the law was given, where they were prohibited from marrying outside of the nation of Israel. But they start with that criticism, and then they turn to the real issue. They're jealous. They're jealous of Moses' uh, power and the influence that he has. Now, God had used all three of them, given them his spirit. In the case of Aaron, he was the first high priest, was he not? When Moses complained to God that, well, when I go back to the children of Israel, he's over there in the land of the desert, and he's going back to Meridian, he said, well, I can't talk to these people. God said, well, use Aaron, your brother. He'll be your prophet. You'll be his God. You tell him what to say. He'll speak for you. When you go before the elders and when you go before Pharaoh. So we find here Aaron receiving God's Holy Spirit to help in his work. It's called a prophet. And also we find about Miriam being called a prophetess. She took a lead when they crossed over the dry land of the Red Sea and into the victorious uh, escape from the Egyptians, Egyptian bondage, and she leads the women in singing and dancing and uh, the song of victory. So God used both Aaron and Miriam, but they wanted more 
prominence? Did they want more say-so? They thought Moses was uh, not the only one God had spoken to. And jealousy of the power and of the influence of Moses was their problem. Miriam even saved Moses' life, or at least helped. It was under God's control, of course. At that time, all the poor babies were to be put to death, were they not? So Jacobet, the mother, Amram, the father, hid baby Moses three months. They thought that's as far as long as they could. So took him down to the river Nile where they knew Pharaoh's daughter bathed. And there was Miriam watching. And when the daughter found baby Moses, she ran up to him and said, I can get you a Hebrew woman to be the mother, to wean the child. So Miriam had her part to play. Aaron had his part to play. What happened? When they complained about Moses and his power, his influence, God removed his shadow from the tabernacle where he had been speaking to the three. And they looked at Miriam and she was as white as snow. God had smitten Miriam with the leprosy. And that would suggest to me that she was the uh, instigator of the problem. He didn't do anything to uh, Aaron, but he did to Mary. And of course, Aaron and Moses both prayed that God would uh, take care of him. Take care of Miriam, and he did. But it was the love of power. That, that, that seemed to be natural to the human mind. Another example from the Bible of jealousy was that of King, King Saul. When Saul first met David, he liked him. That was when they were in an impasse with the Philistines. One was on one side of the veil and the other on the other side. And here comes Goliath, morning and evening, for 40 days, challenging the Israelites to send just one man over. No need for both armies to fight one another and kill a lot of people. Just let one side and none one side be represented. But nobody would take up the challenge of Goliath until David showed up. And he wasn't a part of the army. He was sent up by his father to bring food to his three brothers who were in Saul's army. But when he saw Goliath out there, he said, what, what, what's going on here? And he went up to King Saul and said, I can take that man on. <laughs> he was nine and a half feet tall. He was a giant. That's the way he's described in the Bible. But David said, God will give me the power. And he did. Even Saul gave him his suit to put on. He said, no, I can't fight him that. So he took his slingshot, five stones. He just needed one because God was directing the stones. Hit Goliath in the forehead. He fell over and, of course, then David killed him. But later on, when David became a servant in Saul's army and he went out and he won battle after battle after battle, and Saul was a warrior, not just a king, it was David getting more praise from the people than he was. When they came back from these victorious battles, the women lined the roadside and they shouted out, Saul had killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. You know what that did to Saul? His heart was filled with jealousy. A few times when David was playing his banjo or his harp, whatever, trying to soothe this evil spirit that Saul had, and what happened? 
Saul took his spear and threw it at David. And David was agile enough to get out of the way. He did it twice. David got the point. It's not safe to be around Saul. So he had to flee. And then Saul sent his army out. He went out with them too, trying to find Saul, David, going to kill David. And David had befriended him. That's jealousy. Saul, days were miserable. A life of turbulence. Well, what is the nature of jealousy? Well, jealousy originates in an uncrucified and undedicated flesh. It's a work of the flesh. It's flesh that's uncrucified and undedicated. Jealousy is an expression of a sinful self. It's selfish. Jealousy demands first place, seeks its own. Jealousy and love are opposite. When we turn over to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Paul lists some of the characteristics of love. One thing he says is, envieth not. Jealousy makes a man furious. In fact, when we turn over to uh, Proverbs 6 and verse 34, we read, He, no, let's see, 634. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. That's what jealousy does. Saul was trying to take the life of David. A terrible example of jealousy. Suspicion without self-control will carry a man into the wildest excesses. Jealousy will sulk, be moody, gloomily silent. When others succeed, jealousy is coldly silent. Someone is congratulated, jealousy is unsociable. Two girls, very close friends, but one of them took up with another friend. The other one began to pout and to sulk, jealousy. You've heard about Esau and his fables, the one about the fox and the grapes. Fox is trotting along the path, and he sees this vine of grapes, beautiful grapes. They're all ripe, and he hankers for some. But he can't quite reach him. He jumps up with his paw and keeps trying and keeps trying. He just can't make it. Finally, he walks away. He just says, I don't care. After all, I think they're sour. That's where we get our expression, sour grapes from Esau. And we've heard that before. Someone is deprecated because they've succeeded somewhere. That's just sour grapes. Brings that person affect to despise because they cannot possess what the other has attained. Try to downgrade a prize or a blessing someone else has acquired. Or in a beauty contest, one one, just one wins. But one who lost. She had sour grapes for the whole thing. She was jealous, and her remarks was, well, it wasn't much of a contest anyway, little competition. That's sour grapes. Jealousy, obvious. 
Well, how does jealousy work? Well, it works its own, on its own level, in its own class. I don't suppose there's anybody in this audience that is ever jealous of the President of the United States when he succeeds in something? Well, he's in one class and I'm in another class. But it's in the same class where there are rivalry that causes jealousy. One preacher was preaching in a local congregation. They had a gospel meeting. They had invited a brother to come and he was a good preacher. Had good lessons and the people were enthused about it. And they came regularly every night, brought friends with them congratulated the preacher as they left about his good sermon. Well, the local preacher got jealous. So when they were talking about inviting him back the next year, he wouldn't have to. Why not? Jealous. Same level. Both of them <clears throat> preachers. Must be some rivalry. There must be some competition striving to be equal or even to excel. If someone is in our own field of life and succeeds, and we find ourselves deprecating his work, his life, his word, expressing disapproval, that is the spirit of jealousy. It has arisen. When we begin to look for something that's wrong in a rival, That's the attitude of jealousy. Jealousy is blinding, as we began saying. It blinds the eyes to the goodness of others. Saul could see no good in David. Well, I guess he saw some good, but he was jealous of it. Jealousy blinds us to the accomplishments of others. Jealousy blinds us to the goodness of God. Our blessings are forgotten when we see someone blessed ahead of us. We become complaining, ungrateful people. You think about the brothers of Joseph, ten of them anyway, jealous of Joseph. Well, the father Jacob didn't help much. Joseph was one of his favorites. Benjamin came along and they were both of his favorites because their mother was Rachel. That was Jacob's beloved wife. He gave Joseph his coat of many colors. But what do you think the others thought about, thought about? They didn't get one. And then Joseph had these dreams about how they would eventually all bow down to him. That didn't go well with him. So one day Jacob sent Joseph, a very unwise move, up to find out how the brothers were doing. They were off with the flocks. Had to go 62 miles from home. When he found them, they saw him coming. They first put him in a hole. Then later on, here came the Ishmaelites. They were traitors. They were on the way to Egypt. They thought, well, we don't have to have his blood on our hands. We'll just sell him. Get rid of him. Get him out of the country. And they did. And Joseph went down into Egypt. He was there, what, 13 and about 20 years before he saw them again and then they remembered the, the dreams when he revealed himself to them they bowed down to him but he didn't respond with jealousy to their jealous acts but the brothers of Joseph were blinded by jealousy they wanted him to put, out, put him out of the way and they did for a while 
Miriam, in her jealousy, forgot all that God had done for Israel and became a whining, complaining, fault-finding woman. Let's look now at how jealousy destroys joy. When we think about the prodigal son, Jesus tells us about in Luke 15. He wanted his share of the inheritance, went to a foreign land, wasted it all, lost everything, every dime, and he was just broke. Had to go feed and eat, but they fed the hogs. He came back home. And his father saw him, extended his arms to him, so glad to have him come home. And so they had the fatted calf killed and prepared. They were celebrating. The elder brother comes in. He wonders, what's all the music about? What's all the excitement about? What's going on here? One of the servants tells him, well, your younger brothers come home. And your father's so happy to see him to kill the, the fatted calf. He wouldn't go in. Father had to come out. He said, won't you come on in? Your brother's here. He was dead. Now he's alive and so forth. He said, no. He wouldn't go in. Jealous. He said, I served you all my life. I obeyed every one of your commandments. You never, you never killed a fatted calf for me. That's what he said. Jealousy. It destroys joy. It also destroys friendship. How often are beautiful friendships destroyed? Because of jealousy. Neighbors who should be fast friends are not so. Because of jealousy. Two preachers who should be friends and stand together in the work of the Lord are not. Why? Jealousy. Do Christian women should be friends? They're not so. There may be a number of reasons, but one reason can be and is sometimes jealous. That ought not to be. Do Christian girls, like the other couple I mentioned earlier, the best of friends, but there was another one that wanted to be a friend too. Well, that caused problems. There was rivalry there. Exclusive friendship was the only thing that one could share. And then destroy, jealousy destroys peace. You probably heard this fable. Here was the devil crossing the Libyan, the Libyan desert. He meets two of his old friends. Of course, these were demons too. And these demons were tempting a holy hermit trying the seductions of flesh, trying to produce doubts and fears in his mind, telling him that all of his sacrifices, his austerities, nothing at all. They were to no avail. But the holy man was impeccable. The devil said, your methods are too crude. And so the devil goes up to the hermit and he says, have you heard the news? Your brother had just been made bishop in Alexandria. The style of malignant jealousy crowded the serene face of the once holy man. His peace is gone. And so it is. Two workmen in a plant enjoying friendship, joy and peace until 
one is elevated above the other. Friendship is gone, joy departs, peace no more, because jealousy is there and has taken their place. Well, how can we defeat jealousy? Here are four suggestions. One is to face the danger. Jealousy, like God, is no respecter of persons. Men, women, boys and girls, everybody can be tempted to be jealous. It strikes all men. Secondly, we need to recognize what jealousy is. Know what it is. And do not try to rationalize our feelings. Well, I have a right to be jealous. If jealousy is in your heart, face it, call it by name. Do not try to justify your position of jealousy. Thirdly, confess the sin of jealousy to God. We know from 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to clear us from all unrighteousness. What about Proverbs 28 and 13. He that covers, that is, he that conceals his transgressions shall not prosper. But he that confesseth and forsakes them shall obtain mercy. We need to face it. It's a sin of jealousy. We need to confess it and we need to forsake that sin and we'll have God's forgiveness. Nothing is better than to get down on one's knee and call the sin of jealousy by name and ask for God's forgiveness. And the ones for whom we have jealousy, we ought to pray for them as well as for ourselves. Endeavor to rejoice in their good fortune. Be humble and grateful before God for the blessings that we have from God. And fourthly, just fight the sin. What about the sin of jealousy? Fight the sin of jealousy. It is of the devil. James tells us, chapter 4 and verse 7, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Be in subjection unto God and then flee the devil with his help. Remember that no one is too refined too educated, too sensitive, and too Christian not to be tempted by this sin of jealousy. At some unexpected moment, it may spring up in the heart and bring an end to peace and to joy. Jealousy is contrary to the Christian spirit. It's a work of the flesh. It is a barrier to the blessings that God wants to give each one of us. Let me think a, bit, a minute with you about the cross of Jesus. Jesus died to bear the sins of you, sins that belong to me. And jealousy is among the sins, but he died for all sins and for all men. The cross of Jesus expresses how horrible sin is. If there'd been no sin, he wouldn't have had to die and to suffer as he did. The cross of Jesus expresses the height and the depth 
and the width of God's love. By sending his son to die on the cross. The cross of Christ expresses where the needs of man are met. And the cross of Christ expresses the only way to heaven. Are you on the road, the narrow way that leads to heaven? There's only two ways. The wide road leads to destruction. We don't want that road. We're looking for heaven. And Jesus, by dying on the cross, has made it possible for each and every one to go to heaven. But we have to submit to him. We have to have such faith that we'll want to change our lives. And that means repent of all sin. When we confess our faith, we'll then be ready to be immersed, not sprinkled, but immersed in water for the scriptural reason, the forgiveness of our sins. <clears throat> sins are not forgiven outside of baptism. They're not forgiven outside of the blood of Christ. And they come together. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. If you're subject to the, the gospel invitation, if your love for Christ and is willing to sacrifice for all of us is so strong that you want to be a follower, you want to be on his side, you want to go to heaven, this is a good opportunity to do his will and to come to the Lord. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?